Tonight on Nineworks Radio, we interview former Porsche Works driver and father of Lufka Colt, Mr. Patrick Long. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks, with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners. It's Andy, it's Lee, it's Max. It's another episode of Nineworks Radio. How you doing, boys? Good day, good day. Very well, thank Very you. Very well. Good what to see you. laughing at, Max? <laughs> everything, laughing. mate. Everything. <laughs> everything. Everything. I'm laughing at Max's shirt. What's wrong with this? Put it on specially. I know you did. I know you did. And you let me down because you said you were going to put one on specially as well, and you haven't. I know. I, yeah, I, I, they were all in the wash. Made me look like an idiot. It's uh, just for, for the benefit of people listening at home. It's not that we usually record these podcasts naked. Naked. It's uh, well, we only did it once, but it was far too cold. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That that Paragon showroom was a bit chilly. I'll never look at Jamie Tyler in the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered why he kept winking at me. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the reason uh, Max, uh, we're talking about what Max is uh, currently strapped into, yeah, which is uh, <laughs> Lufka Cult merchandise. It's because we have got a stellar guest tonight, of course, uh, who is heavily involved. He's the father of Lufka Cult, as we pointed out from our intro. It is Mr. Patrick Long. Uh, Andy, you teed this one up from your meeting with Mr. Long a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I managed to grab, obviously, when I was out um, at Luft, I managed to grab Patrick for about a five minute little interview, which was fantastic to to actually get him on the day because oh, I'm sure he had a hundred million things going on and it was all a bit crazy. So it was very good of him to actually um, stop for five minutes and give me a little interview. And um, I did say, let's catch up. And um, he very kindly did. So yeah, good to have him on, on this evening. Yeah, super duper, absolutely super duper. And I think something that we've kind of discussed away from the mic is we want to deliver an interview that's not the same as the other interviews Patrick has done. You know, if you want kind of a step-by-step walkthrough of Patrick's career, he has been on other podcasts and we would implore you to go and kind of seek those out. We just want to dial in on a couple of different things, namely Lufka Cult, where that's gone. Uh, He's favoritism and enthusiasm for the Porsche brand I think it, uh, areas that we would very much like to hone in on on this interview so we hope to deliver something a little bit different absolutely yeah just quickly as a top level in case you don't know Mr Patrick Long born in Thousand Oaks over in California has actually resided here in the UK for a couple of years uh, early on with his racing career Patrick got a works contract with Porsche in 2003 and was kind of a mainstay of the works roster right up until his uh, retirement from professional racing in 2020. So he really has kind of been an ever present for Porsche, which, by the way, is no mean feat, particularly um, in not being a German driver, Mm, if I do say so myself. But yeah, Patrick's uh, career, there are so many highlights to it. Three-time ALMS GT2 Drivers Champion, two-time Pirelli World Challenge GT Champion, uh, Patron Endurance Cup Drivers Champion, 
numerous starts at Le Mans, 15 24 hours of Le Mans races uh, that Patrick entered 2004 to 2018, uh, 12, uh, 16, 12 hours of Sebrings, 14 Petit Le Mans, uh, 17 Rolex Daytonas, uh, the race, not the watch. <laughs> um, a couple of 24 tired. hours of Spa in there and 24 hours of Nürburgring and Bathurst down in Australia. So like Patrick's racing career has quite literally taken him around the world. Um, but as we all know, away from racing, he's had many other kind of, uh, many other side hustles, which have become passion projects, which have become his main focus now. So yeah, yeah lots, lots going on with Mr. Patrick Long. I'm really, really excited to chat to him. Yeah, let's uh, let's get the machine on. Pat Long, welcome to Nine Works Radio. First of all, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So thanks very much for your time. Yeah, it's great to be here. I know this took a, a couple of schedule shifts, so appreciate the patience. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I think it, it, all, it all started when Andy uh, collared you at Luft a few weeks back. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that I remembered the conversation because I've had a few people who have reached out and said, you know what we talked about in the middle of Luft? And I'm like, I really don't. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, a wedding or a graduation where you're having so much fun, but there's so many things happening at once that the short term memory was a little foggy. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> I suppose Andy must have been the only nutter that was asking you to sign his fuel filler cap, though. <laughs> so that must surely stand out. No, I'm, you'd be surprised what we've been asked to sign. So, um, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great thing. And actually I, I had, I think I might've told Andy, but I have this, um, kind of rule of thumb now that, um, I sign cars that I drive only because I found that people have come up to me and said, I bought this X, Y, and Z car on oh, bring wow, a trailer. Yeah. And you know, where did you drive it? And and what did you have to do with it and everything? And I was like, gosh, I don't really know or remember. So <laughs> now I'm telling people, well, if I've driven your car, then at least when someone asks me, um, you know, as an, as the next owner, I can say, oh yeah, I mean, it was great. Even though I probably won't remember where it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks it. for okay. doing that. Appreciate it. No, <laughs> yeah, no it's, it is now in situ on the car, I think, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's back on there. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Branded. <laughs> yeah. uh, Patrick, I'd like to ask you first of all, do you miss the professional side of motorsport and racing? Um, the short answer is is yes, but the long answer is not yet. I think the it's been about a year, and there's so many things that I've mentally and, and emotionally put aside the last 25 years that the to-do list of not only um, recharging and actually sleeping on one time zone for more than a week, um, just getting creative and building out some spaces and executing on some ideas and um, being there a little bit more for some of the teams that have relied on me, both PCNA, PMNA, uh, Porsche Motorsport North America and Porsche Cars North America, but also uh, my own team at Luft. I think the the last year I've felt every bit is passionate, everybody's busy. Um, just don't have those long triple stints in the middle of the night. <laughs> had you uh, had you always had not so much a plan B, but like you know a plan for the afterlife when 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 you were kind of hanging up the the racing gloves, or or as kind of all these projects that you've spearheaded in the last few years, has that kind of happened out of the blue and organically? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there is a part of uh, a professional racing driver and maybe all professional athletes where you're fueled by fear, um, not so much fear on the racetrack, um, but fear of 
well, what happens if this well runs dry? What am I going to do next? And I've been doing the same thing since I was seven years old. So I don't have many other talents or interests or networks. And so, yes, the, the, from the beginning, um, chasing a, a dream of racing cars professionally just once, let alone a year or 20, um, my, my dad always said to me, you know, be realistic. This is a really, really tough avenue. And there are so many people who dream of having this opportunity that you have to be educated, you have to be networked, and you have to look left and right. I can't say that my um, sort of final destination post-racing, uh, did I believe that it might have something to do with classic Porsches or um, advising uh, the CEO of Porsche Motorsport North America. So some of it's happened organically just through opportunity, but um, you know, I started laying some seeds and thinking about my next act, if you will, um, <laughs> probably three or four years before I finally decided that it was time to hang it up. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's quite interesting. And, and so when you, when you first got your, uh, like works contract at Porsche, I, I would still say you're, you're, you're a young chap, you know, did, did you envisage kind of stopping now or, or at that time, did you think that you might go on a, a bit longer or. I mean, to be honest. I was 21 years old. Um, I could barely pay uh, for a room in, in Northampton, let alone my cell phone bill. And to be paid to race cars for a year would have been just incredible. So I really went into it pretty blind and with not a lot of expectation. Um, if you would have asked me, uh, what would five years sound like to you to go to Le Mans, Daytona, Bathurst, Silverstone, you name it, um, I would have, you know, done anything for that opportunity. So um, 18 years as a works driver was about 17 more than I would have ever um, dreamt of, <laughs> um, or 18, 18 more than I would have ever dreamt of. So yeah, I just rode a wave. And I remember talking to um, an NFL football kicker, who's still a great friend and, and sort of became a mentor just through a chance meeting that we had um, at the, on the greens at, um, Amelia Island. And, you know, I said to him, I said, there's, there's a point in this timeline where you start to question, like, how is this so consistently awesome? And how many years am I going to have a chance to race these amazing cars for this amazing brand? And, and he said, you know, it's a little bit of an imposter syndrome. I can listen to you and, and hear it. And he said, I walked out on that field to kick field goals in the Super Bowl, and I kind of wondered when the locker room was going to realize that I didn't uh, belong there and I wasn't <laughs> worthy of the opportunity. So I think it's it's some weird form of self-doubt meets humility meets uh, realist, where um, as long as you never rest on your laurels and you never sit back and think, oh, I got this and these opportunities are just going to come forever, I think that's really what kept me hungry. And I think the ego of a racing driver is, is very needed in that you have to prove yourself every single session you go on the track. Yeah. yeah. So having got yourself in a position, uh, you know, at 21 to be offered a Porsche contract, the journey that got you to there, you know, you mentioned being in, in the UK, being in North, in Northampton, your, your journey, I, I suppose where I'm going with, with this is did, did you ever think, I want to be a NASCAR driver or, or, or I want to be an IndyCar driver, or did you go the sort of European route, if we can call it that? Cause that's what you really wanted. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, my, my mindset was 
aim as far as I can and we'll see where we end up, but let's strive for the very top, but also beggars can't be choosers. I didn't have the family money to be selective in uh, where I raced, which country I raced, which team I raced for. I just went year to year and tried to link uh, scholarships and opportunities. And with that, you know, uh, NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, you know, offshore powerboat racing. Uh, I was trying to make a living um, as a racer. I love driving um, and riding two wheels, um, it, everything. And actually, my background in Southern California was going to short track dirt races and watching the Saturday night uh, sprint car scene. Um, and so I had a, a very diverse background. And I remember when I was racing carts, I was maybe 13 or 14 and waking up early in the morning to watch Formula One and seeing, um, you know, Senna throw the car up on the curbs at uh, Adelaide, for instance, and thinking to myself, man, that really does look like go-karts to me. That really does look like what I do. And maybe I should focus that direction because it, it seems so relatable compared to going and watching a NASCAR race or a, or a drag race or a circle track race. So um, there, there seemed to be a natural fit um, from a youngster's perspective and from an enthusiast perspective. But then as big mis- business becomes very much a part of the sport early on, you start to understand that opportunity may come in many shapes, sizes, and form and mm-hmm. always plant seeds. I think my main goal was to be in a manufacturer related um, opportunity. And that was something that I saw was a little bit of job security um, if there was any in the sport. <laughs> yeah. So you ended up in the UK, you're in the UK for three years, was it? Um, yeah. What was that time like? What uh, what championships were you racing in? You mentioned Northampton. Were you living in that sort of around Silverstone kind of area where people gravitate towards? Was it were, that, were they good times? Yeah, they were great times. Um, I learned how to drink beer. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> the uh, I remember going to the first Formula Ford Festival, which was my first introduction to um, the scene of of British motorsport at a national level, and that would have been the end of 1999. And I walked into the Kentigan to meet Ralph Furman from Van Diemen. And I walked up to the bar and, and, you know, I think John Uprichard from Van Diemen offered me a pint. And I thought to myself, do I say yes in this situation? I, I really want to ride with these guys. And it, it just seemed like there was a social side to having a pint at the bar. So it was um, a great introduction to how small and focused the motorsport scene was in the UK, especially in the in the young driver ladder. And it was really um, a, a scene that I wanted to be a part of. I was racing the prior season in France in the La Filière program in Le Mans. And I had just tested a Formula 3 car for Elf and thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to go from, you know, 1600 school cars into Formula 3. But once I had seen the scene in the UK, and of course, reading Autosport um, every week, I knew that that's where I wanted to go to better hone my craft towards Formula 1. And I loved every minute of it. Um, Two years of Formula Ford and a year of Formula Renault, um, sort of second or third season of the new um, version of Formula Renault, which was a full carbon monocoque and and a very advanced um, single seater at a pretty realistic budget. So um, everything I did was was trying to get to British F3. Uh, I did a few tests, but didn't have the budget to you know rock up and and pay whatever it was back then five hundred thousand pounds or such probably half of what it is today, but um, an amazing amazing transition for me. I think it was a time uh, where it was incredibly challenging in some ways, and in other ways, winning 
um, races uh, gave me the the knowledge and the confidence uh, that I really needed to go into a pro career because from the UK it was straight into Porsche and I had to be turnkey at that point. And so I owe a lot to those years in the UK. Yeah. What was the, um, what was the fundamental moment that got you that Porsche contract? Was there? Yeah, it was meeting them um, at Indianapolis. I was in the Red Bull driver's scholarship uh, for an American uh, to go to formula one. It was the first year and it had the most, pageantry and media behind it and and recognition and i was in indianapolis for the grand prix with the 16 other contestants and um danny sullivan who was sort of the mentor grandfather of the program um said hey we should go over to the super cup paddock and i want to introduce you to a couple of folks from porsche and for some drivers they were there for formula one and formula one only but i knew that that it was always going to be a gong show and that there was only going to be one uh, winner if one um, from the 16. So why not use this momentum and opportunity to meet as many people as I could yeah. and shaking the hands of Uwe Bredel and seeing the super cup there supporting formula one. It was super, super cool. Uh, and, and then um, they came along to the final uh, stage of the Red Bull scholarship uh, down in Paul Ricard. And they saw something in me that that they didn't see in some of the other guys. And so I was actually the only one of the 16 that got an invitation to go test uh, one of their cars only a few weeks after the Red Bull scholarship. So um, owe a lot to, uh, you know, Didier, Dieter Masterschitz and his um, whole Young Driver initiative and program. Yeah. And, you know, Helmut Marco was there on the scene that day. And it didn't work for me with Red Bull, but it did give me the, the intro to, to Porsche. Wow. Excellent. And and having got that, being offered that Porsche contract, and at the risk of stating the obvious, given where you are now, was that brilliant because you're already a Porsche enthusiast, or has your enthusiasm for the brand grown as a result of being a Porsche driver? Yeah, you know, I I had knowledge of of the one make cup racing from you know sort of reading the magazines and and seeing actually some of the races. Um, when I had been able to sneak into a Formula One race here or there, living in Europe for those six years. Um, I was a fan of Porsche and drawn to Porsche long before those days, though. Um, I remember telling my dad one day, you know, I don't think I like Ferraris, but I do like a 911. Um, and, and you know, I actually, to, to tell the truth, I had a, a Countach and a 930 Turbo on my wall as we all talk about uh, being <laughs> a kid. And, and I think back... Um, it wasn't that I was like an undeniable fan of a 911, but I had so much recognition of the essence of cool and having a father of a friend who would come home from work in his G-body, you know, Targa and just think about the sound of that engine and how unique the cars were and, you know, how aesthetically pleasing they were. And it was only, I think at about 15 that I had my first quick drive in a 911 um, and then just remember the rear squatting. I remember how quickly it accelerated. It wasn't um, intimidating, but it just was very, very unique. And I, I think the only other memory I have before I first tested for the factory was uh, Marino Franchitti had landed a job. He was my roommate um, living in the UK. Oh, really? We were both racing wow. and uh, he landed his first gig with Porsche Cars GB and he had a boxer given to him around 2001 or two. And he brought it home to the house. And I thought to myself, damn, that is that is a super cool car. And what struck me was when I sat in it, um, the driving position, 
um, the smell, the touch, the feel, it was, it was a very race experience. And I kind of chuckle inside that a base boxer or whatever it was, um, was so touching, um, for me, pardon the pun, but, um, I don't think he let me drive it. I think he probably <laughs> let me sit in it and then told me to get out, but, um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool little, little nuggets. But then fast forward to 2002, I'm at Leipzig and I jump into this UPS junior team, 996 GT3. And it was just a natural fit to my driving style. Um, I felt right at home, even though I had really limited time in anything with a roof over my head. Um, it was just, a, it was a fit for me. And I, and I just excelled in the car right away. I remember, um, you know, by the end of the first day, I was overlaying data with guys that were racing for the team, you know, for a year or two and, and thought to myself, I can do this. I think, uh, yeah. So Pat, when you started, obviously, and in, in, in your early years at Porsche in, in racing the tin tops, I'm, I'm sure you know, if if you if you wanted a car, they'd have kind of pointed you in the direction of a, of a new car because it looks great for the company. But so, where where did this kind of predilection for like air cooled and classic Porsches start to fester? Yeah, almost right away. Um, you know, I would say before I even did my first race that year um, in two thousand three, when I got the UPS Junior Team uh, role. Um, I had a phone call. I was living in Stuttgart right at the base of, of Weissach. And in, in, I had a phone call from Mark Lieb and he said, hey, uh, the museum is going to the Mercedes-Benz gathering in town in Stuttgart. Uh, Mercedes is opening a new museum and we've been invited to bring a few classics out and, and sort of do these exhibition races. And so call this guy, Klaus Bischoff, who ho- heads up the museum and um, talk to him. So I got on the phone with him and he said, you're American, you know, James Dean the 550 spider come on Sunday and drive the 550 spider. So I, you know, I grabbed my, my helmet and I don't know much about what a 550 spider is at that time. And it was the, you know, career Panamericana, um, icon, you know, I, I didn't know. I mean, to me, it was a glorified Volkswagen bug with a a roof chopped (laughs) off of it. And, uh, I I asked him, I said, how hard do I push this thing? What do you want me to do? And he was like 7,000 RPM. You must push you must win the fucking race. Go. You know, he was like, go, go, go. So like immediately I just jump in this thing fired up. Johan Moss is my, the guy I lined up next to we're racing around the parking lot. The rest is history. So, um, yeah, to save you another 10 minute answer, um, right away, I was just dropped into these cars and everything that I was able to drive from the first day on the job, um, completely immersed me into the passion of these cars and, and what they made you feel like as a driver and how pure they were. And so I started thinking, wow, I would love to own a, a 911. You know, a driver would show up to the track yeah. in a in a G-body. And I thought to myself, that's kind of cool. It's like the old leather bag that you bring around your, your, your shoulder. It's got some swagger. It's old. It's worn in. And I thought to myself, I, I should put some money um, down and, and buy one of these cars. But I was way too frugal. I was way too doomsday. Like, I don't know when my next job might come. So (laughs) I'm not going to spend any money on a car while people are begging me to drive theirs. But eventually I bought my first uh, air-cooled 911 and I found a passion and a community and um, just a a hobby that I hadn't really found for many years. And so uh, the rest is history. So when did you drive that um, 550? That was 2003, uh, early in the, in the year. So it's 10 years and 10 years until you actually bought a, a G body because you, it was a Carrera 
3.2, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I would go to PCA weeks, weekends and um, speak to uh, the race crowd and or coach a team or a driver and people would throw me into their spec 911 or I remember driving a 993 RS not knowing what it was, um, RSR. Um, and yeah, so I had, I had a lot of opportunity to jump into not, not so much the big cars, the, the 917s or the 908s, but, or the 962s, but a lot of, um, interesting opportunities along the way. But yeah, I finally bought that car in 2013. And once I had that car, um, I was looking for a community and a place to, um, you know, share my car, learn about my car, um, understand people who knew a lot more about this uh, than me. And I had friends in the motorsport world um, that I would call on and and they would help me and they would advise me on where to get parts or to have the car worked on. But there wasn't really a, a, a a a group or a gathering uh, like there is now. I mean, any given weekend now in LA, there's 15 uh, gatherings where you could take an air-cooled car and see 30 or 40 other at least. And back then um, there was just sort of the cars and coffee in Irvine, which some claim was the original cars and coffee Uh, Freeman Thomas had, had helped started and there would be five or six air-cooled cars there, but they were mostly the same cars. And um, the folks were older than me and, and maybe didn't have all the same, um, social interests that I had. And so the other side of it was my weekends were spent in Venice or Santa Monica, um, at a barbecue, uh, hanging around creatives and they would see my car and ask, you know, tell me more about this. Where can I, um, buy one of these cars? And so I realized that there was a real disconnect between, um, young, successful creatives and, and business people that lived in West LA and the, their ability to learn and enjoy and understand this air-cooled scene. So that was kind of the, the beginnings of, of Luft. Was, um, was there a transition, do you think? Because as a, as a British car enthusiast and have heavily influenced by Southern California, you know, through air-cooled VWs and that sort of thing, you know, I, I read hot VWs and VW trends, you know, I, got them, I bought them when I could and then I subscribed and all that sort of thing. They're yeah, still in perce- your loft, aren't they, man? <laughs> they are still <laughs> in the loft. You know, my perception was that around every corner, you know, in Huntingdon and Santa Monica, you know, the place was full of colored V-dubs and split screens. Was there, was there a transition from that scene into air-cooled Porsches, do you think? Um, I don't know. Um, candidly, it was a little bit before my time. So I had a 66 bug that was kind of a cow style bug in high school. And it was a, it was just a a car that actually I got off of my brother uh, through chance, but I loved driving that car. And I knew that scene was around. I had gone to the Promona swap meet and always Mm -hmm. seen the VWs. Um, And I knew there was a Porsche scene. I mean, there, there were lots of Porsches around, but um, I guess I never went to any of the big gatherings. I, I heard a lot about them. I, I saw and, and heard about some of the, the vintage 911 and bug gatherings that happened. Um, but it just seemed to be very niche. It seemed to be very in the know. And you had to be part of that, that community. You weren't really going to just stumble upon it um, at a brewery or a coffee shop on a, on a given weekend. I mean, I remember the, the local car shows like where I grew up in, in Westlake Village, about an hour north of LA. And it was an annual car show in a strip mall. And it was just all walks of life. And it was, you know, run by the Rotary Club or whatever. And and so that <laughs> that was really the only scene that I had been a part of. And so 
I guess I was looking for um, what otherwise my social scene or or gatherings would look like on a weekend that that didn't involve um, automotive passion, and then trying to merge that. And um, Deus Ex Machina was a big influence on me as a, a a a site and a brand, and they were doing sort of the the motorcycle. Um, they called it Sunday Mass, and it was just a, a rebel motorcycle barbecue. Um, and, and great people. And, and so that was a site and a scene that definitely had some influence on me. So I think it was a little bit of, of everything, but yeah, the, the, the California love for, um, VW and Porsche has been pretty, pretty long and hard. (laughs) The, the, um, the, the bike thing you mentioned in, in passing, I've, I've heard you mention it a couple of times. Is that a, is that a supercross freestyle motocross thing? Cause that was another big you know, Southern Californian influence on, on me, McGrath and Emig and Sink Mars and those kind of people. I love that. Yeah, I was very drawn um, to the moto scene and I spent a lot more time around that than I did the VW scene. Um, you know, the beginnings of Supercross and Mickey Thompson Stadium Racing, mm-hmm. um, speed, Speedway was very big in SoCal, still is, but it, it used to be much bigger, uh, you know, which is also big in the UK. So I was around a lot of motorcycle racing and that was a, a big influence on me. Um, but again, I really couldn't find a, a static show. I needed to go and, and get a ride, you know, an hour from my house to really get in touch with the moto scene. But yeah, I loved, um, stadium racing outdoor and freestyle. I was at one of the biggest and, and first gatherings, um, of freestyle motocross in Las Vegas. Um, this is even before uh, this was when I was still in go-karts and I remember seeing, you know, Pastrana and Seth and Sink Myers and all those guys that were kind of on the the, the fringes of crusty demons of dirt and yeah. the first videos that were really coming out. Yeah, that was amazing stuff. <laughs> uh, Pat, I want to I want to come on to to Luft now, and um, be- before we kind of dive right into that, I think there's a there's a memory I have of you, and it ties together quite nicely a few things that you've said so far so it was 2018 it was the last friends sport reunion actually and uh obviously you were there and and i'm sure you were pretty much in every single race because every time i'd be looking up to see who was racing and what cars they were in i always saw your name crop up every single time and uh what kind of what what appealed to me was a lot of the stuff you were racing was like the super old stuff not so much the newer stuff. So I think what has always been quite clear to me from the outset, and I know you've kind of done Luft prior to 2018, of course, but your passion, particularly for like that era of Porsche sports car and race car is so genuine. And I just, you know, that I've always really warmed to that because during Rensport, as I say, you know, you could have been, I don't know, yeah, wafting around the, the, the corporate facilities, but you weren't, you were, you were down there, you know, down there on the racetrack. And, and I, I have to say that was brilliant. So kudos to you for that. But um, it is a clear passion. What gave you the the platform, sort of mentally, to say, right, the world needs Luftkult? Yeah, there's a there's a few different objectives in that. Um, first of all, the driving aspect of it, you know, the the opportunity to drive some of these big cars, as I call them, that that have history and performance and just cars that I've only dreamt of getting the opportunity to drive, the opportunities might not always be there. And that's at least how I see it. And so when I pulled something together or got the opportunity, I wasn't going to miss it. And, and so selfishly, I was 
saying yes to every opportunity that I had a chance to jump at. And that meant that by the time 2018 had come around and I had um, gained a little bit of knowledge and confidence and momentum from owners and the museum and everybody else that was like, hey, have him drive your car. He'll give you good feedback or he won't, he won't throw it in the, in the gravel, etc." It was just coming from all ends. But it wasn't always like that. It wasn't that just it was automatic that since I was a works driver, I was going to get to drive every car that Porsche brought to Rensport or any other event and or a private, even the private side was even harder uh, to get opportunity because, of course, those guys owned those cars and knew what they were valued at and, and knew the reputation of pro racing drivers and what they're trained to do. And it doesn't mix well uh, with the classic Porsche. So, um, yeah, I think the objectives uh, of Luft combined uh, a bit with the, the racing side, but I think the Luft side of it to me was um, giving the community uh, an alternative to what the market really um, had for them in social gatherings. And, and I thought about how can we look at this differently? And ultimately, the objective has always remained the same, which was to walk somebody around a space and allow them to experience what I was so captivated by and to allow them to get a just a snapshot and some education on what the difference between a survivor and a restoration or an outlaw or all these different numbers and acronyms that us Porsche files speak in code. It's, it's intimidating. I mean, it's like thinking about going to Comic-Con or a rave or some other type of niche gathering. Like if you're an outsider and you don't speak the language and you don't wear the clothes, uh, it, it might not be that inviting or, or that interesting. I've I've heard um heard it being said before that you you kind of wanted it to be something that you'd take your girlfriend to or your kids to and that they would enjoy it as much as you would. Exactly. Um the amount of times that I was dragged to a a classic car gathering or a race or um something that wasn't as as short attention span and is captivating um, and just wanting to leave or one, wondering when my uncle or my grandfather or my dad was ever going to stop talking so we could go do something more interesting. And <laughs> I think that there are those people nodding their heads and they know what it's like to drag somebody to um, something that they have high level of interest in, but the the guests are just not that fueled or or embedded in, in that community. So yeah, there, there needed to be something for everybody. And I think that it, the cars are the art and the backdrop and the reason for coming together, but it really needed to be um, more than a, a dark parking lot at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning where everybody sort of got their hands in their pockets and they're shivering as they're talking about, you know, a 165 tire versus a 185 tire. And so um, we needed music. We needed tacos. We needed beer. We needed uh, girls. We needed dogs. It needed to be, um, you know, something a bit more upbeat than just an empty parking lot with a bunch of car guys. Yeah, in their beige <laughs> trousers, as we say. <laughs> I mean, or my, straw hats, or straw yeah. hats and chinos on a golf course. I mean, I love going to a classic uh, concourse as well. But yeah. uh, again, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna get my wife there. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, my wife um, came along to lift 
um well she both we went to luft gb and to to the luft eight and uh she enjoyed both immensely so yeah uh, thank you for, for and really that's what turned me got the trigger pulled to get me a 911 really was uh luft gb so again i thank you for that I, i'm sure you understand that already but uh, i thought it's publicly say thank you <laughs> no I, I appreciate it i'll say one quick thing on that which is um you know what when you are trying to create events uh, you guys know it's not easy and you can never please everybody yeah. um but my thought was if the first timer and the legends are captivated and happy um you know that then i've done my job or, or my team has done their job because the legends and i call legends loosely they've been to every car event they've seen every car they're totally jaded by the whole experience but if they still want to come to our events that means that they're they're fresh they're they're unique they're different um and they have something even for the person who's been there and done it all but at the same time for the first timer who doesn't know the difference between a 968 and a 908 um there's got to be a, a little bit of education for them but a lot of fun as well yeah Absolutely. and there's no doubt Pat, that um you know having been to lift gb um that you know you guys have changed the landscape of what a cars and coffee or a car meet or a car gathering can be you know through the attention to detail and the creativity that you bring to it uh, but do you think that the you know the exponential growth that you've that you've seen on it do you, do you think without platforms like instagram and that sort of thing it could have stayed more of a california thing yeah it's it's interesting i think the the timing of instagram in 2014 when we did our first um gathering was a huge tool um that our gatherings were really about um capturing the faces and and the cars alike um, and the architecture of our locations. I think that all really was an important juxtaposition. So it's a great question. At the same time, I think that the passion and the 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 need in the market for a different um, thought or or experience in static car shows, that was it was yearning and it was there and it was needed. And I think it was going to happen whether we did it or somebody else did it. And it would have just trickled uh, along slower. And newsletters and magazines and and other ways of media would have got it out there, but I think the engagement and and the way that things sort of percolate or or spread through social media is is a massive factor. And I think the other part of Luft, besides just cars and education and people, is is that the the meat in the sandwich, the the group that I didn't mention, uh, which I consider myself part of, is. Um, the people that have been in this for for quite some time and see this as a bit of a reunion, um, as a chance to meet people that they only know on social media from across mm -hmm. continents or the other mm -hmm. side of the world. And so for people who say, oh, well, will you bring Luft to my hometown um, so that I can bring my car or, or I can attend your event? You know, what I say to them is, uh, yeah, maybe eventually, but um, right now we've got 22 countries and 48 of 50 states in attendance at our event. So um, don't be shy to buy a ticket or throw your car on a truck or drive it across country and, and come join us. But I think that coming to the UK and, and to Munich, uh, going to Zell for the GP ice race, those were little um, pop-ups, if you will. And, and they were a great way for us to um, spread the spread the love a little bit. And it's great to see that you guys have really blossomed and have some excellent air-cooled events going on in the UK right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
I remember at the time when the rumours started to come out that you, you guys were going to be coming to Europe and it was going to be the UK. It was really exciting. And, it, you know, in my mind, I thought, God, you know, this is something that, that I have to go to. Mm. And when the date came out, uh, I was actually supposed to be going on holiday. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, look, I think, you know, if we can, I think we're going to need to change this because <laughs> there's this event coming and I really need to go. I only live 20 minutes from Vista Heritage. So, that you know, that turned out to be very handy. Um, and, you know, she, you know, she kind of maybe sensed the, the enthusiasm that was building up and she said, okay, you can make it happen, make the changes, do it and we'll go. And she came along with me, the, you know, the wettest day in three months. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was so exciting. It was so exciting. Yeah. The, uh, first of all, apologies for, we're not big on notice when we pop a, a date out there. Um, <laughs> so I, I had a lot of feedback on that because I think it was like right at the, the end of your guys holiday period but yeah the other the other note on that was the weather which was so funny because i remember you guys had gone through so much dry oh, hot man. days and then of course we show up and it's back to a, an english summer but um yeah. it was almost perfect because the photography is always good we've we've had a lot of rain in our in our past uh, our short past at luft but it always makes for great imagery um and it was I mean, I think it was a, a quieter day than it would have been if the weather yeah. was better or if we would have given a little bit more notice. Um, but by design, um, we didn't quite know what to expect. Uh, and so we wanted to kind of keep things a bit less on the expectation. But now I, I want to come back and it's everything is measured against that day. And, and in so many ways, it was so perfect and in other ways it was so flawed and it just you can only you, you can only have your first once but um yeah bister and 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 working with james and the guys at sports purpose and everybody who came out for that one i mean andy prill drove up uh, i think he drove a 904 up uh the m1 or or something <laughs> like that i mean it was it was a wild day uh yeah. max and page brought some ma amazing cars so just people that i had known from the automotive uh, and racing scene um, came out and, and, it, and it felt like a, a reunion again, uh, only a few miles from where I lived about 15 years prior. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, it, it's actually given me hope because obviously you've gone back to warehouse 10 this year at um, in LA. And I was like, well, it's never going to happen in the UK again, but ooh, it could do, it could do. Could it, could it? <laughs> yeah. Never say never. Um, yeah. You know, we we loved working with uh, Bister, and and that was pretty early on. It was, um, yeah. If you think about things, 2018. I mean, they were doing their scrambles, but um, nowadays it's it's busy there, it's and massive, uh, yeah. it's it's great. I mean, what a, a dream space and a, an amazing idea and uh, a gamble that paid off uh, with with that facility. But no, I keep in in good touch with uh, with my buddy James, and uh, we definitely aspire to come back to the UK. Um, and, and when it's the right time and when we have the absolute right facility, uh, I'd, I'd love to do it. Um, I can't promise there's anything, um, on the horizon, but, uh, never, never Let's second hope. guess Let's us. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you choose the, uh, signature car? Do you wait? Do you have a car in mind that you want to try and get, or do you see what you get offered? Cause I think one of the things that really switched me on, to, to Luft was the was the uh, Labra Le Mans class winning 964 RSR when you used that because I love that car um, and suddenly images started to come through and then I saw the posters and the t-shirts I thought oh, wow I love that of course for GB had the 904 which was the perfect car now how, how does that come about 
Yeah, it's um, a little bit of a, a, a committee um, and trying to find that, that right fit. Um, telling different stories leading into the events. We try not to post and, and promote every car that we're going to have because you, mm. you want there to be that little bit of a butterfly in your stomach when you're driving in. Like, I wonder what I'm going to see today that I might never have seen before. Um, but also the examples of the cars and what we might be able to pull together and anniversaries. I mean, that was something that I, I was pretty focused on back with the 964. Mm-hmm. Um, the anniversary of the 964, we did a talk the evening before at the Peterson event. And uh, we had some you know key figureheads with inside of the design department um, with Vic Elford, who, of course, was very responsible for the RS America and the idea of, of that car. And, and then of course, Alois Roof and what he brought to the table in the periods of, of 964. So always kind of what can we grab onto and make as part of the fabric of the event, but not overwhelm the event by this big um, PR stunt. It's, it's really mm-hmm. just, it's there if you want it, but if you want to just brush right by it, you can too. It might just be a car on a t-shirt to some and to others, if you know the history of the last, at 964 at Le Mans, then, you know, we throw some images up there and, and tell that story. But it's just amazing because working with the owners of these cars, they have so much knowledge, they have so much material, and we don't really want it to turn into a museum where there's the tombstones in front of the car. Um, but at yeah. the same time, we want to use social media to tell some of those stories. Think Thinking of that car, is there anything, I mean, you maybe you already have something is there anything from your career you know do you think oh i'd love a ups you know gt3 cuts that's a pretty cool livery I, or any other cars do you think i'd like to get that or or have you already got got some i mean i've been i've been offered a few cars um i have a little bit of a emotional connection to the tub itself like if i drove the car um and then it was retubbed because of an incident from a, a driver after me or another owner i i actually had my ups car offered to me and i thought about it because it wasn't unobtainium in a price point. But when once I realized that the tub I drove the complete season was was long gone, I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought, mm, mm-hmm. my sweat's not in in that metal. <laughs> so, uh, um, but no, I do. I am a, a sentimental kind of collector, and uh, some some would call me a bit of a unorganized hoarder, hoarder or a disorganized hoarder. Um, <clears throat> the the irony of some of these cars, I remember getting off the racetrack in 2006 and we had won the championship, the driver's championship in IMSA with a Peterson white lightning 911. And at that point it was so tired. We were welding it back together to just get to the end of the year. And the owner, Mike Peterson and Dale white, they, they were like talking about what are we going to do with this car and how are we going to find someone to buy this thing? It's, it's so completely just destroyed. And I remember my dad saying to me, you know, you should consider making them an offer and trying to buy that car. And I kind of brushed it off, you know, and, and he was right. But um, I do have my Van Diemen works Duckham's formula Ford. Oh, thanks, really? to my Fantastic. Dad, thanks to my dad. Wow. I'm thinking Brilliant. about those types of things. So that's a great one. Um, and then I, and I stay connected with um, these cars that I've driven and oftentimes facilitate trades off market between friends. Um, one friend will call and say, um, I've got a downsize. Um, this was your car. What do, what do you think? And they're now way too expensive for me, but um, I try to, I try to land them with people that I can at least know where they're at and and maybe drive them. But yeah, yeah lots of helmets and, and racing suits and boxes of trophies um, and a few, a few cars, but, um, most of my cars are, are street legal air cooled. Yeah. 
And and what does that part of the collection look like at the moment? I've I've seen the Ivory two point four in a book that I've got, which which mentions the uh, the Irish Green nine twelve. You know that Ivory two point four E, beautiful car. Have you have you still got that? Uh, the E, I don't. Um, I have a rule that when I find an example, I haven't purchased a car on market since the first car that I found in 2013. So every car I've found um, has been offered to me or I've heard about it. And when I find something that I just can't say no to, then of course, freeing up a little bit of capital is is one of the, the objectives. But another one is just not hoarding the same uh, model or line. Mm-hmm. So my, my rule is uh, one air-cooled car from each decade is the maximum. Okay. And so if I find That's one, one one has to go. So I found um, a car that I knew of that I idolized and he was a mentor of mine sort of in what to look for and how to look for cars and buy. And it was his personal car and it was aubergine. It was, it was RS flared. It was looked after by many people that I knew. And this was Johannes van Overbeck um, who does a lot of writing for you for excellence and was one of the founders of, of flying lizard. And, when he told me we were in Nürburgring racing in WC, he said, I need to find a new home for my 911. And I looked at him with big eyes and I just said, I never thought, I never thought that day would come. And I just said, I'll take it. I didn't ask how much I didn't ask when I just was like, don't, <laughs> don't tell anybody you found your buyer. So I had to move my, my E for, for that car. But um, I still know the owner. That's the fun part. And I'm sure you guys have found this is that a lot of times the cars you, you move to the next owner, they become friends. Um, yeah. and, and I've, I found that more times than not. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun, but to quickly answer your question, um, I moved my, uh, 58, uh, silver, um, coupe on, and that's another one that I really miss, um, a 356 a coupe that was real kind of tried and tested, if you will, and, and crusty, but mechanically completely dialed. And I moved that on to a now friend uh, for a 57 project that um, I just drove in the Calmelia. It's a, a non-metallic aquamarine. And then my Lovely. 60s uh, car is the Irish Green 912 that I, I, I've kind of posted about a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that yeah. car is just about uh, 10 feet to my right here at my office and, um, just love that car. I bought it from the original owner, um, and, uh, a lot of fun. Um, seventies, of course, we talked about the aubergine car also, um, snuck a, broke my own rule and snuck a 914 in there. Um, <laughs> so there's a little bit of overlap in the seventies, eighties is that, uh, three, two Carrera, which funny oh, enough, still got that. yeah, well, I oh, sold it. He huh? sold it to to a mutual friend, bought it back from that mutual friend, and then sold it to me. So it's gone through five or six ownerships uh, amongst three friends. And it's kind of a car that's too pure to let go, but it also is too pure to really um, use and abuse. So it's kind of the ongoing joke of like, we're, we're sort of like divorced parents that are like shared custody with this car and uh, like who has to take it now for a few <laughs> like years. Like a little hot potato that you're throwing between, yeah. between yourselves. Yeah, exactly. And then um, in the 90s, um, I did have a white 964 C2 um, that I, I passed on to a friend. And uh, I think it was just because white wasn't feeling like it was my color, but I dearly miss that car now. And, and I think I made a mistake in letting that one go. It was a pretty pure low mileage car, but I replaced that with a, a polar silver 996 C2 and sorry, 993 C2. Yeah. And the, 
the 993 C2 to me in like a cup wheel and modern kind of Euro ride height and, and just a very pure example was what I remember in high school, you know, my dentist drove one of those cars and it was just, it was the, the like memento of sophisticated businessman who's really understands his cars and, and is kind of understated and, and knows what he's doing. And so, yeah, the silver 993 C2 was, was a big one for me to try and find. What color is the interior? Is it black or blue? It's black. I wouldn't, yeah, nice. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought less of it in blue, especially because polar has some blue in it. Hmm. Um, in, and actually I was a little bit more after Arctic, but um, that polar blue hue, the car was just, um, it had a, a lineage and a storyline that I, I couldn't deny. It had a, a Southern California sold at Vasic Pollock, uh, maintained by Andile, low mileage, completely original. And I just thought to myself, yep, that's, that's the one. That sounds lovely. I, I, I have this idea and a pat in my head of something that I call a reference car, uh, you know, and that is basically that car, silver, black interior. I imagine, you know, all of the bums lined up in a Porsche poster, you know, the generation poster, all the silver cars. And that that's a car I'd like to own myself. Right-hand yeah, drive, though. Yeah, right-hand drive, absolutely. I actually, I have the hots for a right-hand drive car, even, even over here in California. Um, I, I loved my time in the UK and, uh, driving, driving on the right, other than two lane roads here in California, it would be, it would be just fine to drive, but yeah, the 993, you know, I tell people the 964, obviously the company was in a much different place and there was a lot less production of those cars, um, at that time. And, and the prices are so high with, you know, resto modding, et cetera, yeah. but I felt like I I traded up to a better car, six speed, uh, really strong AC, great back seats for the kids. I mean, I would daily drive that car. It pretty much does everything and uh, that a modern car does, minus some of the electronics and and you know the the multimedia functions. It's just such a an advanced car for its time, and uh, love driving it. Yeah, I was speaking to Magnus Walker, um, obviously when when I was over there, and he called it a grocery getter yep <laughs> <laughs> loved it i've died out on that <laughs> that's since. your, that's your favorite isn't it you love that <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna add dentist's car as well yeah, today, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after today <laughs> fantastic fantastic uh pat so where where to next for for luft you know like where where's where's this where's this gonna go yeah i feel like in a lot of ways we're just getting started i mean luft is um what Howie, uh, the co-founder, uh, called our our greatest side hustle. It was always something that um, filled the time in between racing or creative jobs for for him or or movies for Jeff Swart. Um, and now, um, for me at least, it's really my daily um, priority. Um, I'm I'm still an ambassador for Porsche and still work with motorsport. But Luft is, uh, it's that traditional startup, you know, where everything, it, it, I'm going to show you guys, even though you won't see, hear this on the podcast, but I'm, I'm sitting amongst samples um, of merchandise that it's the world that, that I, I love and, and it's, it's my baby. Um, and I love the team that, that I work with. Uh, where there's about five of us that sort of are in communication daily on Luft these days. So it's certainly a lot more than just the days of meeting for coffee with Howie and saying, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to produce this next show? But to answer your question, Lee, um, I think it's just formulating 
um, the madness so that our we give a little bit more notice um, on the next date, um, that maybe the lines are a little bit shorter, although um, it didn't seem that way uh, this year as yeah. people came uh, in masses. But just trying to um, make it a well-oiled machine without ever losing the essence of what Luft is, which is mystery, which is a little bit of dysfunction, which is a little bit of uh, too much variety, some say, of car or too much variety of people. I want that. I want it to be um, a bit of an alter ego, a bit of a skunk works. I never want it to be this polished, corporate, predictable um, being. I think it's just keeping it fun and um, yeah, I- enjoying it. Um, I think about another uh, gathering uh, that I've been talking about a bit and that might be on the horizon for 23 if I can pull uh, things together. Um, and, and to tease that out a little bit, I, I think of an even larger gathering um, that, that includes uh, other models of Porsche and um, maybe some places where Luft is a lot more selective and um, concerning. This, this event might allow um, for more people, uh, for, for vendors, for um, different types of cars. So there, there is definitely a spin-off uh, experience that that I have some hunger for, and um, beyond that, it's just um, you know quarterly pop-ups, whether that's an online or an offline um, sort of storytelling um, product gathering, etc. Making sure that you know there's not a few months that don't go by before uh, Luft gives some type of experience to the loyal following. Yeah. And I guess you guys will be heavily involved at Rensport. We're coming over for Rensport. I'm so excited. Lee's been before. I haven't been. So, you know, really, really excited. We'll be looking to get fully involved in whatever you guys are doing. Yeah, Rensport is is going to be um, one for the ages, I would say. Uh, I will put money on it that it will be the biggest Rensport in history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it will also be the the most well-produced um, event, uh, sitting on some of these planning teams, um, you can tell that more than a year out, um, they've just been really on it. And it's all about, uh, something similar, uh, that's been a narrative at Lyft, which is, um, celebrating legends. But I think the, the driven youth and understanding, uh, Porsche's next demographic and what they want to enjoy experience, uh, and and be entertained by might not just be uh, vintage cars and vintage drivers, but other things as well. So, um, yeah, excited excited about the last week of September two thousand twenty three. Yeah, it's going to come around quick. Yeah, fingers I'm crossed. Excited. Fingers crossed. Uh, Patrick, thank you so much. It's been a real real pleasure to talk to you and for for you to share some yeah. Candice, stories about your career today and and certainly Luft and and the madness that you, your words, not mine, and, and see where that's going to go. It's been brilliant to hear all of that. So thank you very much yeah. indeed. There's one one thing that I want to mention was the um, the new garage social thing that you've got going on with uh, Rod and Haggerty. That sounds quite amazing. What's the what's the where where whereabouts are you in that? Yeah, that's um, a, a very exciting project upcoming. Uh, Rod and I have been friends since about 2005 when he co-owned a Daytona prototype in Grand Am that I drove. Um, and we've just stayed connected. And I think that 
in his universe of, of Emery and outlaws and, you know, three generations of, of car culture and in my story and, and some parallels there with my grandfather owning a, a service station and being a hot rodder uh, after the second world war, they, they were working in the same area just around the corner from one another in the same circles. And now we're building um, a brick and mortar car experience just a few miles over from where our grandparents Fantastic. were making their magic. But um, yeah, we're, we're going to create a, a social hub and a place for people to come and gather um, almost every day of the week. And uh, we have a garage that will have um, different events, different um, shows and media. Um, we have a, a clubhouse, a full service lounge, uh, food and Bev, and then um, a second building on the campus um, that will house uh, about 200 cars um, from a storage oh, side. And then the, um, the yard itself um, is very big and gated. And so it gives us a chance to um, have our own kind of, uh, hub and gatherings. And, you know, Haggerty has been somebody that's, it's making waves in the mm -hmm. community. And I think that McKeel and his team have always said, uh, we want to create an automotive experiential brand. This is not about anything, but creating community. And so um, when they came to Rod and I and, and said, we want you guys to creative direct this, and we want you guys to be um, the, the, the hub in Southern California for events uh, we we looked at each other and thought this is too good to be true, yeah. and so it's been super fun. Um, we're right in the final construction phase of the seven thousand square foot clubhouse, and then we're already open for business on a on a soft opening um, with the vehicle side. And uh, Rod and I both have uh, probably a few too many of our own cars in there while there's a bit <laughs> of space, but um, it's fun to go over there and um, just see the cars. I mean, yeah. all walks of life, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, uh, Corvettes, Rovers, um, and of course, Porsche. So um, yeah, super fun. Yeah, what a brilliant. Great opportunity that is to something sort of face that up. Yeah. Just before we finish, Pat, something I was really keen to ask you just whilst we've got a chance, because I'm, I'm fascinated by it based on, you know, everything that you achieved, all the work that you did with Patrick, you know, which was an incredible journey and, you know, the reach for, for you and him and the brand, uh, you know, it makes, I mean, I can talk about Porsche a lot more with my girlfriend than I would have been able to do otherwise, <laughs> you know, so that was, that was brilliant. But, you know, I've been hoovering up all the stuff that um, Porsche had been making with Michael Fassbender about his, his journey. You know, that's an incredible series of programs to watch on YouTube and, I mean, he's throwing everything at it and it, it looks hard. You know, what, what are you, and it, it's something I've asked myself, which is interesting, you know, as a, you know, as a serious actor, you know, you know, actors have to learn how to do lots of things, you know, and you wonder how much can be learned and how much has to be innate. Cause you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a big challenge. And he, you know, it's, what do you make of what he's doing? Have you been involved, you know, in it at all? Um, I, have met and spoken to Michael and obviously in touch with the, the, the marketing team um, that's, that's really behind that effort. And, and then Proton and Chris Reed, um, I think I did four, four or five Le Mans with Proton and Chris Reed. And actually um, that's where Patrick and I ran uh, with, with that team. So there's a lot of parallels, but I'm not too directly involved. Um, I, I speak to Patrick almost every day, a really close friend of mine, and uh, we've been cheering Michael on and, yeah, Patrick is um, someone who really 
defied a lot of the the odds because it is difficult to your point. Um, I think about it almost as though, you know, if I go and do a, a little commercial blurb um, for Porsche and, and think to myself, oh, this show business side is really cool and captivating and there's some parallels to racing and you really have to be studied and good under pressure and uh, maybe I'm going to take a run at being in a full mo- motion picture film in a speaking role and now all of a sudden I'm on set with all of these lifers who have been making movies yeah. their whole life and actors that have been making movies their whole life. I mean, gosh, what would that be like? I couldn't imagine the pressure, um, especially if you have a lot of celebrity and, and a lot of media attention around you. So yeah, props to Michael and, and also to Patrick and, you know, the, the Ben Keatings of the world and, and some of these David Heinemeyer Hansen, the, the pro-am guys that are able to really put a full-time um, career uh, focus into their racing, their hard work has paid off. And I think the same for somebody like Patrick, uh, who was able to get on the podium at Le Mans and, and win a race in WEC when we went to Japan. It's so cool to see people achieve their goals through hard work and, and perseverance because <laughs> there are so many days where I was behind closed doors and looking at Patrick and saying like, no, 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 no. Like this was a bad day. This was a bad session, but um, we're going to pull through this and we're just going to go back to the drawing board and we're going to work hard. There were those times and and that's not cliche. I mean, that's really how it how, how it went down and how it goes in, in this profession and in this sport. So, um, yeah, it's it's fun to look back on it now. But I know for Michael, it's hard work and uh, he's just got to keep digging. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the things that he says, it's quite inspiring to, to watch because it is so hard and he's so resilient and putting so much into it. And once it's so bad, it's, 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 I mean, it's great, great to watch. Yeah. It's, it's inspiring and it's, it's great to, to, to see the media um, and, and how they follow it because, you know, from, from the shorts online, you really can get into the nitty gritty of, of it all versus having to um, cut it all into a 60 minute format. So, uh, it's, it's really great to watch. If you haven't seen it, check it out on Porsche's channels on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, it's especially the beginning, even when he's still in like one make like sports cup, uh, in Germany and just wrecking car after car. And it's, it's expensive and it's, it's emotional, but, um, yeah, one other side bit. So Patrick, uh, Dempsey is, I fully, um, got him sucked into the air cooled scene and he's had a 356 since his first big job. Um, back in, I think the late eighties. Um, but you know, since then has purchased, uh, quite a few more air cooled cars. And so as we speak, uh, he's, he's getting a new, uh, slate gray over red 356 C, uh, delivered to him in Malibu. He's been in Italy for months on a movie. And so he got home last night, texted me, he's like, where's the car? I have to see it. And I'm like, man, (laughs) you just need to reconnect with your family and go to sleep. um, (laughs) That's what I thought. Of course, I didn't say that, but he doesn't need my, he doesn't need my life advice. So um, yeah, I'll be curious to see uh, what my phone looks like after, after our chat and see if he took it out for a drive. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, And could I thank you for um, making sure that Max has got clothes? Because he, <laughs> I, I reckon that fifty percent of Max's clothes are Luftgeholt um, branded products. Yeah, that's that's a good problem. I uh, I appreciate the support, and my team appreciates the support. So we're glad that Max is wearing clothes these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've got a lot. I've got a lot. I mean, I enjoyed the Luft GB thing so much that I bought 
you know, two of everything. So I could keep one, keep one good. Because it, good. I have, Brilliant. I have, I've, fantastic. I've got the Natter. green sweatshirt with the, uh, you know, the nine eleven yeah. unworn in my. I've got one that's nearly worn out and one that I've never worn. You know, it's for posterity. It's for posterity. New old so, stock and your patina. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. In years to come, I'll be able to step out in that, and you know, I'll be the coolest cat. Exactly. People are like, "Were you there? That was thirty years ago." I was like, "Yeah, I was there." Still got the jumper. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, hopefully, hopefully, we'll have paid the uh, the price of all that washing detergent that you've <laughs> maintained that car over the years. Yeah, I mean, and actually, Pat, as we're we're looking at um, merchandise from from a Nineworks point of view at the moment, and we've all said that the you know the standard for quality and attention to detail from a design point of view, and also on the garments, is the stuff that you guys are doing. Um, you know, I've got a, a designer friend I work with, Hugh, who I do my Group C sort of side hustle on the art with, and he's come up with some designs. But we're sort of, you know, yours is the standard that we're aiming for. It's uh, it's really great stuff. No, I appreciate it. I, I would just say that um, make sure you touch and feel and wear every yeah. single piece that you put out there and uh, make it part of your extension of your brand. I The amount of times I had to rent a trailer and, you know, drive it across town to do a pickup or a drop-off in the weeks leading up to Luft. It, it really is a, a part of the brand that we love. And um, I, I'm not a designer. I can't draw to save my life. But um, as long as you know we, we get the product out and, and listen to the feedback and, and make changes and just try to put um, quality um, cotton and, and printing process out there and, and also you know, tell authentic stories with the illustrations and and again, just never rest on what was good last year is good to just keep doing. So it's, I appreciate the words and the support and yeah, that, I mean, textiles and apparel and um, merchandising, especially direct to consumer. So many people think, well, you just uh, pay someone to print a t-shirt and, and then, you know, someone clicks a button on a website, but as you guys probably know, it's uh, a wild journey from um, concept to a landing product and, people's hands and uh it's never it's never per- perfected but uh we keep digging yeah. yes very much so very much so fantastic yeah look pat as, as i said thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real real pleasure to talk to you so yeah thanks for being our guest on our mics radio yeah, thank you pat thanks guys thanks for very much pat so look yeah, forward to seeing to you at Sport next year yeah let's uh let's get together and uh and have a drink that'll be great get the pints out thank you all yes. right thanks guys thanks, thanks. bye all right. That was Mr. Patrick Long. Andy, thanks for sorting that out, my man. Uh, no problem. I'm glad I ran into him at Luft and managed to connect again and, and get an interview. And what a cracking interview it was. Started Absolutely. off with the challenge, didn't it? The challenge was to get a yes. few words from Patrick and it all look, went from there. What it's, brilliant. what it's turned into. Yeah, indeed. Um, oh, what an interesting... Think about his life so far. You know, what's happened... He's just been... a I wouldn't say a lucky man, but he's been driven um, and very fortunate in getting the breaks that he has, I guess. And it's just, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. He's been living the dream, but it's bloody hard work, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. All right, then. So look, away from uh, this week's guest, we've obviously been busy in the background for a few other bits and pieces, uh, namely Patreons, Andy. Yes, we've had a bit of an influx of Patreons over the last couple of weeks. Um, thank Fantastic. you very much, guys. Nice. Um, so I'm going to do my normal and try and pronounce them. 
um, do a quick run rundown. And uh, you're bit. probably all full. This is going to be the highlight of the podcast, isn't it? Yeah, as as, as per normal. So my yeah, I'll, bit um, every week. I'll hit the rundown if that's all right. If you're ready. Yeah. Um, the first new patron is Robert Bat, which is very easy to say. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> um, he's from Norfolk, and he has he sponsored us a beer. Um, he yeah, from North Norfolk. He is currently driving a nine nine six C four cab. A 955KN Turbo S. Ooh, beast. Um, and he's also got a, a rather magnificent uh, Californian import 1967 930 roof BTR 3.4. That sounds a beast. I'd it love does. to go in I think it's. I think it's an 87. 87. All right. Yeah, you're right. What did I say? 84. 67. 67. But it, it could be a forward date. But no, yeah. The no, 80, no, no. It's 87, 937. Thank you for the correction. Yeah. No, my, my, my pleasure. Yeah. And I know that um, um, Robert has said that he's got lots of miles on all of those as well. I think they're all over 100,000 miles. Yeah. Oh, proper um, job. Yeah, with him doing a lot of those. So, yeah, fantastic. A real enthusiast. Brilliant. So, yeah, thank you, Robert. Next is George Silver from Toronto in Canada. And you sponsors coffee. Thank you, George. Um, his Porsche obsession started with a, a 996 Turbo, which he still has. Um, he's also has a 1984 Carrera Coupe. Um, he's had lots of other stuff as well in between. Uh, 1995, 911 anniversary car. I don't know those. Do you know that, those, Lee? Interesting one to look up. Not a 75. There was no. a, a 3.2 Carrera in the 80s, uh, which was a commemorative edition. Yeah. Which is sometimes confused with anniversary. I mean, to, yeah. to my... Maybe to we'll my, get some more details on that. Yeah. Yeah. To my knowledge, the anniversary cars started with the 964 with the 30 yard. Um so I'd be keen to know what that is or yeah. what anniversary that's celebrating in 75. Yeah. Let us know more. Yeah. Please do, George. Um, He's also had another 996, which was a X50 pack. Oh, rare beast. In the past. Um, and recently just got rid of a Carrera T that he had for a while, which he absolutely loved. Um, so, yeah, good to hear, hear his story. And I think he's got a 992 GTS on order. So, yeah, you've got the bug big time, haven't you, mate? Oh, I love that. <laughs> and do you know what as well? I love the fact, particularly in reference to the 996 Turbo, and the 84 Carrera as well. Isn't it great to have one foot in the, in the air cooled down water cooled camp? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Right. So next is Guy Feltham. Um, where does Guy live? I couldn't remember. He's in deepest, darkest Essex. He is Essex. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Essex. He yeah. talks like Geez. a geezer. Essex boy. Um, geezer. Ebenezer. He has one <laughs> foot in, in each, each grave that's not the right word is it? <laughs> well, he's, uh, he's not that old come on yeah <laughs> he's got a, a nice old um 79 sc targa i think it's been recently restored Fully restored beautiful car yeah really nice and uh, a 997.2 gt3 so yeah very much nice which is the famous car. rothman's car it off is of, isn't it? off <laughs> of instagram <laughs> yes. yeah yeah uh, I, I was it's gonna say if, if if you haven't seen a rothman's 997.2 gt3 then you've never been on Instagram. 
<laughs> it's as simple as that. You've never been on there. It's rampant. It's, uh, it, honestly, Guy, that is the greatest marketing machine, my man. So, yeah, very well done. And also, as well, I think, like, I don't think Guy gets enough credit for this. Seriously ballsy for him to, to uh, lavish that car with the, the Rothmans livery. And I, I use that word appropriately because when he first got that car, it was an absolute mint, and it still is, don't get me wrong, but like a really good mint 997.2 GT3. And then you ruined it with And stuff. No, no. It's, you know, it, the, the easier thing to do would be to wrap it in cotton wool, keep the miles yeah. down, not put the livery on. So to splash it in Rothmans and put some miles on it, which he has done, is is yeah, absolutely yeah. the the ballsy option, dare I say it, on that. So, Indeed. yeah, good on you, my man. That is awesome. Yeah. And welcome, Guy. Yeah, right. Guy. Next up is Adrian Brown, who's in France and he sponsors us a beer. I don't know anything else about you, Adrian, but uh, very welcome. Let uh, us know. Good to have you. Yeah, let us know. Next is, uh, this is Mario. And Mario was very kind to, to absolutely spell out how to pronounce his surname, which is Sergi D's. Thank you, Mario. And was it Andy again? Sergi D's. Love it. Have I pronounced, are you happy with that? <laughs> no idea but i like it <laughs> <laughs> he's in north london and he has a 991.1 targa very nice, nice car oh yes right. it is a nice car the black one beautiful yeah it yeah. is yeah very yeah, nice yeah yeah very, very nice on nice. great wheels as well yeah 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 the techno wheel option you like those don't you the, yeah very nice i'd like them in my car <laughs> maybe you can just do a quick quick nick quick swap. it's not too far away from you is it? it's not <laughs> swap deal yeah. And talking uh, not too far away from you is another new patron, which is James Good. He's in Aylesbury and sponsors a beer. Um, in Aylesbury? Yeah, not far from you. Apparently. Well, we're practically neighbours. Indeed, indeed. Um, he has a 997.2C2. Um, and would you believe his very first car was a 944S2 in Guards Red? First, oh, first car. First car. Blimey. He did well. He did well. He did very well. Yeah. So that wraps up uh, new patrons. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. And obviously, appreciate all of the other patrons that we already have. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is epic. Absolutely epic. I nearly I had a 944 as my first car. Did you? Actually. Oh, my dad. Was... No, no, a real one. My dad had a shonky old 944 and a, like a Y Reg one black, um, which he'd been running about him and he wanted rid of it because he got his 3-2 Carrera which is also pretty shonky and uh <laughs> and and I thought maybe he'd just passed the 944 on to me but he tried to sell it to me like for 1800 quid or something which at the time was a lot of money because I wasn't very old and I didn't really fancy it anyway so uh, so I didn't buy it that's because it was a four-cylinder and I wanted a six-cylinder but yeah I mean why didn't you just give it to me tight yeah. tight could have been my first car I love that been. story yeah Damn it, what could have been? Indeed, indeed. This podcast is endorsed by the Nineworks Marketplace. Tailored for enthusiasts, this is your first port of call for buying quality Porsche sports cars from trusted dealers with warranty, finance and independent inspections all available. This week's Nineworks Marketplace Car of the Week is possibly the antithesis of everything else we've had on so far. It's a real, real, real low mileage highly collectible Porsche 911. Only 250 of them were made worldwide. Max, what what is it? 997 Sport Classic. It's exactly that, my friend. It's a 997 it's Sport Classic. So this really is one for the collectors. Just 500 miles oh, on the clock. It's still a brand new car. 
997 Sport Classic, as I say, really, especially um, within the context of modern metal, it's one of the rarest Porsches you can get, as Max has, has rightly said. Only 250 of these made worldwide um, in the classic Sport Classic grey with the Fuchs. Uh, brown leather interior. This is a Porsche exclusive car. Beautiful interior. Stunning, isn't it? Absolutely stunning. And, and you know, these cars are pretty much handmade or certainly hand assembled with loads of really cool unique touches on them it's one of my favorite 911s it's currently for sale at jonathan franklin cars it's up for 395k drop jonathan a line or search nineworks marketplace for more details good um should we do spread the love uh yeah or should we come back to that you're looking a bit vacant (laughs) um i'll tell you a story i'll tell you a story you know um the night in the museum Yes. Well, the film we or the idea that we go there. The idea that we go there. Yeah. Have you heard about the um, protesters that uh, superglued themselves to the museum floor? What, to the what? Porsche Museum floor? Yeah, Porsche. Well, I think there was a number of different ones going on. They, I think they did them in a few car dealerships, but also in the Porsche Museum, I believe. All oh, right. Well, this right. No, the No More Royal people. Yes, that's that it. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. No, I hadn't heard that. So the best bit about the story is that um, the museum staff um decided right okay you've stuck yourself to the floor um you can't go anywhere what we do then is we'll turn the lights off we'll turn the heating off and we'll go home for the evening brilliant (laughs) brilliant just left them to it's just so funny so yeah they went back in the next morning and then worked out how to unstick them but yeah they just got left in the museum overnight (laughs) how fantastic is that made me chuckle but yeah, we've been beaten to the a night in the museum by some protesters. Sorry, guys. Well, well, the only difference is when we go, we'd like to be able to have like a comfort break and you know, be able, yeah, just basically be able to lo- use the loo rather than <laughs> yeah. and leave know. the heating on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Funny, <laughs> funny. Right then, uh, spread the love. Are you ready? Yeah, go I'm on, ready. Andy. You, you sound ready. like you're you're primed and ready for action. Yes, I am. Um, there was a. I'm going to go YouTube. I seem to go YouTube quite a lot, maybe because I watched too much YouTube. Uh, Jeff, Jethro Bovington um, released a great video the other day on GT3 RS4 litre and the Carrera GT, doing a little tour around the northwest, the North 500. North Coast 500. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. I have, yeah, yeah, very good. You saw it, well, it's good. Fun, funnily enough, because, yeah, I think I saw you guys on the Patreon WhatsApp group talking about it. Yeah. And um, and it's 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 done the rounds. I'm sure, unless I'm very much mistaken, that is an old video that um, it debuted on television first. Oh, yes. It? Yes. Oh, and okay. so it's kind of only just recently come on to, to the realms of, of YouTube. But I think, was it on Amazon? Um, it was part of a series that Jethro did for motor trend. Right. Um, And that was the first of a series that he did. He did one about the E46 M3 CSL and some other bits. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the first one and probably the best one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I saw that like on Amazon, like one, you know, one Sunday hung over on the sofa and (laughs) uh, punched in like Porsche or whatever. And and that came up because the the 997 RS4 litre he uses um, yeah. I'm sure is the car that's based at the experience center at Silverstone. So yeah, you can drive that very car if you wish, albeit not used. around Scotland. Yeah, well it shows you all of the, like the graphics that are just kind of faded and 
shot to bits by stones yeah. and stuff yeah 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 proper used car very cool very yeah. cool and there's a yeah a great little segment in, in there about their Carrera gt as well yeah so yeah go and go and check that out either on your is it amazon prime or youtube there you go <laughs> go on then max who are you, who are you spreading uh, for? i'm going to keep talking because i've been going on about it all evening um for people who are also into motorcycle racing as well as porsches as i am the chase in the racing podcast uh which um has been going for quite a long time and it's really good two lads from the northeast chrissy rouse and dom herbertson uh chrissy rouse sadly succumbed to the injuries from an accident that he had at Donington park uh, last month so i mean who knows what's going to happen to the podcast going forward because it you know he was the yeah. originator of it and it was really good as well so you know look it up go back and listen to it incredible guests motorbike racers all sorts of interesting people on it it's first class podcasting and rest in peace chrissy rouse oh ideal well done max well done well done uh, my spread the love i almost tempted to go for um a little company called Shell uh, petrol stations because they've they've not <laughs> they've they've had a tough time and they've not made it lately, have they? So every every penny counts. Uh, no, I... <laughs> yeah. You need to get yourself off to bed, son. Yeah. <laughs> well, He's yeah, no, times times are, times are hard. Times are hard. So yeah, support where you can. Um my spread the love uh, this week is is RMA RMA track days. So oh, yeah, uh, yeah I did that a couple of couple of weeks ago. Where I think Mark Sumter and I in last week's pod touched on it yeah. briefly. But um, yeah, RMA did a Porsche only track day that was unsilenced, and you could overtake on both sides. So it was yeah. What does it, RMA it, stand for? Sorry to interrupt there. I've absolutely no idea. Okay, I, I mean yeah, Ronald I, I, McDonald. McDonald automobiles yeah i don't know they've they've it's been around for 30 years it's run by leighton clark these days um yeah. who has like racing experience and and whatnot but um yeah a porsche guy and that has kind of led to alongside rpm technic who are involved a little bit as well running these porsche only track days which so that was the first one that i went to a couple of weeks back and there is some bits in the offing to do at least two porsche only track days next year what i would say if you if you've done a few track days before it doesn't even have to be a lot definitely get involved like there there's, there was some serious machinery there but the standard of driving and and most importantly driver etiquette was huge uh was well yeah really good so don't be put off by the fact oh it's unsilenced it's overtaken on both sides it sounds really scary and whatnot you know it's definitely i i, I would say one of the best track days I've been to for driver etiquette, actually. Good so, um, yeah, check them out, sign up with RMA and just keep an eye on their newsletter for for the bits and pieces they've got coming up track day wise in the UK and abroad as well. Perfect. Good. Excellent. Thank you very much. Nice. So I right. think that's it for today's episode, chaps. That's it. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Next week, another big guest on next week. Yes. Another big guest, literally very tall. <laughs> extremely tall but yeah can you guess extremely tall big hair big epic hair. burns epic epic burns epic, epic burns yeah let's have your guests guesses in we're not gonna not gonna say the name give us your guesses <laughs> yeah yeah um right. until then chaps and everybody listening at home we'll see you soon see you soon cheers see you soon bye this episode was brought to you by our very kind patreons 
If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com slash nineworksradio. Radio.